and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and chavruta, Yardena Azband, our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf Lamed Gimel, page 33. So, as you'll recall, on page 32, we were discussing the fact that there's a, a discussion, uh, it gets into machlok, even dispute, over what happens when two isurim, two prohibitions, kind of connect or coincide at the same time, and... And what do you do, right? Which one kicks in first? Can you, how do you have to navigate that? So the Gemara continues with that whole discussion. And I'm jumping most of it because there's a smaller piece of it. I, I called it, you know, a, a machloket within a machloket, really. It's a sub-machloket, um, sub-dispute on, the, on a particular kind of, the ca- kind of case within all of this. So I'm hoping that what I want to do is not too abstract and that we can get into the, into the machloket the discussion without getting into the weeds. That is my hope. Let's see if we can do it. It says as follows. It's um, halfway through Amanaf. According to the opinion of Rabbi Chia, right? Meaning we're talking about a machloket, a dispute that has taken place before, previously on the page and starting before. That's between the way Rabbi Chia reads a ruling by Rabbi Hudanasi. And there's also another view, which is held by Bar Kapara. Now, what do we mean by all this? Well, we're going to see how it, Bar Kapara is really at the very end of the previous stuff and onto the top of the, this stuff. Let's see how it all lines up. Ki atnai l'didei, aliba d'rebi Yossi. Ki atnai l'bar Kapara, aliba d'rebi Shimon. So what they want to do is that we're talking about a case, again, where we have two prohibitions. Can they take effect? Or when were, are they going to take effect? And we saw yesterday the opinions of Rabbi Yossi and Rabbi Shimon, where Rabbi Yossi says that the two prohibitions can both take effect. And the position of Rabbi Shimon seems to be that when you have, once you have a prohibition, a new prohibition cannot kick in because the first one is already there. So what happens is that Rabbi Yossi taught Rabbi Chia and when he taught, Rabbi Chia, he explained whatever the the issue according to the opinion of Rabbi Yossi. And then, when Rabbi Yehudanasi taught Bar Kapara, this claims he taught Bar Kapara according to the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. So let's read it again back into the into the Hebrew of the Gemara. B'shalom al Rabbi Chia ket nail diday alibed Rabbi Yossi. He had nail Bar Kapara alibed Rabbi Shimon. So that each one was taught the issue in accord with different Tanayim who themselves had a machloket. So then the next generation kind of carries on this machloket because they learned it, you know, as the as the basic ruling instead of learning it as a machloket. They learned simply the interpretation. At least that's what this Gemara suggests that Rabbi Yehuda Nasi taught each of them. So then the question is this. We understand that... Um, Right, Rabbi Chia, it's clear that Rabbi Chia and Bar Kapara are not going to agree, right? But so what happens is that Rabbi Chia thought the Bar Kapara, you know, was representing Rabbi Huda Nasi when Rabbi Huda Nasi was presenting Rabbi Shimon. And so therefore, what happens, Rabbi Chia assumes that Bar Kapara does not understand that that view does not line up with Rabbi Yossi's opinion. So therefore, when it says, according to Bar Kapara, Ella Labar Kapara, what like was does that mean that Rabbi Chia Shikure Kamashaka was Rabbi Chia lying? Was he telling? Was he saying something false? Meaning, how is Bar Kapara supposed to understand Rabbi Chia when Rabbi Chia takes a very this 
further up the daf that we didn't read inside, right? He takes a very strong stance, you know, in, in support, let's say, of Rebius. Did he? So the question is, you know, does Bar Kapara, um, you know, uh, is Bar does Bar Kapara think that Rebuchia is lying about the way he's representing what Rabbi Huda Anasi said? Keeping in mind that the way we understand this is that Rabbi Huda Anasi fundamentally taught each of them t- differently. So the Gemara says, no, we have to understand this this whole thing. We have to understand differently. Ella, rather, it's it's amazing how much is packed up packed into that little word Ella. Meaning rather, meaning don't read anything that we've just said. So rather, we should understand that Rabbi Chia and Bar Kapara, what is their machloket? It's not that they're really having a machloket on the two, the double whammy of Isurim that happened, you know, that happened, right? Rather, we're going to understand that their disagreement is about the case where we have um, two prohibitions that take effect. I'm sorry, meaning at, at one time, not one after the other, but literally simultaneously. And then the question is, you know, what's the status of those prohibitions? Again, specifically according to Rabbi Shimon, meaning leaving Rabbi Yossi out of it, says the Gemara. Rabbi Chia took this oath, right, to say that he is not he he's excluding the whole position of Rabbi Shimon because he was following the opinion of Rabbi Yossi, this oath that took place in the daf that we did not read inside. But so, and that's why he does so, right? Meaning he's making the point. He's taking a, a very strong stance that he is not going to be in favor of Rabbi Shimon's approach, right? But what about Bar Kapara? Why does Bar Kapara, le Bar Kapara, lama le le no, le istabue, why did he have to swear? What's why did he need to take an oath? Meaning he does follow, he was understanding it according to Rabbi Shimon. So what's really supposed to happen here? The Gemara comments here, Kashia. So this I feel like is is like the kind of the biggest tangle that the Gemara presents in such a way that I, I would almost go so far as to say it's unfair, right? Because the Gemara opens this second passage, not where I was first reading the, the case of where they align up differently and maybe they were taught it differently to begin with. The Gemara here says Ella, right? Rather, that big word, that little word that gives us such a big meaning of let's turn everything on its head and come up with a different way to understand why or where Rabbi and Rabbi Shimon are having a machloket here. And it works it all through and it talks it all out. And then it says, huh, we're left with a question that we can't answer and Kashia, yeah, you're right, it's difficult. Meaning, I feel like, yeah, you're right, it's difficult. We knew it was difficult to begin with. What's your whole, you know, what's your whole um, light bulb moment that you've got a different way to read it that's going to make it better when your conclusion is that it's not better, it's just at, at least as difficult, if not more so. So <laughs> the Gemara goes on to give us um, at least one, maybe more, two other options of how to understand this. We'll try again. Bishlama Lebrakapara. So the Gemara says, okay, we've got another, we can have got another explanation from a different angle, and we've got a difficulty on that as well. Bishlama Lebrakapara, we say it's fine to say that Barkapara, he adgai Rebbe Ledide. We could say that according to Barkapara, when Rebbe Udanasi taught him, meaning the, the approach of Rebbe Shimon, and what he taught him was a two Isurim cannot happen, even if they happen at literally exactly the same time. Then, when he taught that same opinion, the, the ruling to Rabbi Chia, 
right? And he does it according to Rabbi Yossi, where in fact the opinion is that you could do it at the same time. So again, that's the part that Barkapar lines up with Rabbi Shimon. He at and lines up with Rabbi And now we're gonna ask the same question backwards, right? Like, does that mean that when Rabbi when according to Rabbi Chia, right, whose position is that that Rabbi Shimon, um, you know, he's gonna say that there's going to be a time where in fact you do have a simultaneous isurim, the double whammy, and that one could in fact be for both, right? So then does that mean that Bar Kapara is lying? As opposed to the Gemara before, it says, what, Rabbi Chiyah is lying? And again, this seems to line up not with Rabbi Shimon and not with Rabbi Yossi. So again, we're trying to follow the machloket that takes place a generation later and how it lines up with a generation before. And the answer is, wait, we're still running in circles. And I understand that the, the content of this, right, the double whammy is... Isurim issue, I think it is interesting, you know, what happens when something happens when prohibitions kick in simultaneously, how are you going to manage them? But on the other hand, I also find this, um, the I don't want to call it narrative, the like the heritage from one generation to the next um, teaching to be kind of fascinating that it's, that it's here it is in all of its glory and it's still so very confusing. I mean, and they didn't, I, dare I say, they didn't write it down well to be able to know who thought what and who was following what to the extent that they have to come and kind of use all their thumbs to figure it out again and still be frustrated with it, right? And then, lastly, we're going to have Rabbi Chia's opinion here, and then I'll turn it over to you, Dana. Amar lach Rabbi Chia. So this is what Rabbi Chia said, or could have said, would have said, namely, this is what happened, when Rabbi Hudanasi taught him, meaning Rabbi Chia, um, no, I'm sorry, Bar Kapara, Tarte Liftur Atnai. He taught him, Bar Kapara, he taught him two different cases that had Liftur. They had exemptions, meaning there were two different cases. And and the 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 Gemara's here the Gemara is referring back to the cases that we skipped, meaning that we didn't read them inside about what happens when you have a non-coin in the Beit HaMikdash and Shabbat and you've got a a mum, what happens when somebody's blemished and they become tummy, right? There's a, again, it's a the details of those cases are esoteric in their own right and deserve a lot more attention than I felt able to provide today. Um, but the point being that Rabbi Hudan Asi taught Bar Kapara two cases that had these exemptions, meaning where you have two cases of double whammy surim that happen at the same time, or they kick in basically at the same time, almost at the same time, and they kick in because of the other or near the other, and then what's going to happen, right? That's that's how Rabbi Chia says, his claim is that that's how Bar Kapara learned it. And he taught him, meaning Rabbi Yudha Nasi taught Rabbi Chia, the, a general principle or more kolel, more um, like an umbrella pro, uh, uh, rationale or umbrella prohibition, right? Namely, and that is also according to Rabbi Shimon. Meaning that at the end of the day, they kind of leave, it seems to me that they're leaving Rabbi Yossi's opinion aside. What's the opinion according to Rabbi Shimon? Malika. So the example then becomes that, Bar, um, uh, sorry, here's the example. Bar Kapara saw a case where of Malika. What's the Malika? That's where it's not, it's a little bit of a gruesome example. 
where they um, kind of crush the head of the bird. It's a small bird, right? And they, they, I don't know, pinch it or flick it, something like that, the head. And that's how they kill the bird. Um, so what happens? Barakapar saw the case where what's what happens? He sees somebody who's not a Kohen, and the not Kohen person ate the bird that was killed by Malika, this process, whatever with a thumb, fine. And it was so similar to the previous cases that again that we didn't talk about inside, um that Barakapar got confused. So I feel like, really, Rabbi Chia, you're telling us that Barakapar got confused, which might really be what happened, but it seems a little bit interesting that Rabbi Chia is the one to do the, to paint him as such. Um, and then, right, then later it seemed that maybe Barakapar had really heard all of these cases from Yudanasi until he looked into all of the cases, he looked into the last case, and he found that the only way that those things could have happened at all, meaning again, this Malika, this eating, whatever, is if it really was Bavatachad. Vesavar Hanami Bavatachad. So he so his conclusion then is, his rationale is that the that because of that case of the non kohen eating the bird who was killed by Malika, right? That could only happen where you have prohibitions that kick in immediately, simultaneously, I mean. The two happen at the same time. And I go, I know I'm talking in the abstract because of the I didn't want to get bogged down in the details of the case of the of the Isurim themselves. And I realize that's a bit of a challenge. You could read on the daf. It's not that hard to suss out. It's just uh, I wanted to spare us the, in the interest of time. Hanami bevatachat. So then also, right, since we're talking about other cases of things that take effect at the exact same time, he extended it to other cases. And so then, he, because he was also taught to liftor, to exempt the case of, of one person from what if you've got two prohibitions and they kick in, so you're going to exempt the person from the second prohibition. In those cases, um, from these cases, you're going to exempt the person. So from those cases, you're also going to exempt the person. So therefore, we can understand that according to Rabbi Chia, right, it's not that Barkapar was actually lying. Right? It's not that he was being false. It's that he heard stuff from Rebuta Nasi. He kind of merged it in his brain in a way that you know, isn't accurate, says Rabbi Chia, but it's a matter of confusion and not a matter of falsehood. So I, I think this is an interesting passage because Rabbi Chia really comes in to be like, no, 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 this is really what he was taught. And it's not that they're sort of like bringing different Tanaitic statements to say, can we prove each person's position? There's sort of more like a debate about something was taught and the nuance or how it was discussed truly could have been different for different people. Um, I, you know, it, it's a different take on like our typical Mahloka. Right, right, exactly. And I want to say like, well, could you just go ask Rabbi Nasi again? And I wonder, like, you know, was he no longer around? Were they, like, what do they really need to be doing here to, why, why don't Rabbi Chia and Bar Kapara sit down and talk it out? You know, I, I would like to be the fly on the wall that's, to have a better understanding of where, where this, like, muddle came into the, why did it happen this way? Why couldn't they simply have checked it out instead of being, 
Like, what are you calling me a liar? Meaning they never have that conversation. It's the Gemara mm-hmm. asking that. Right. And the Gemara is pretty clear. Like, you can't call them a liar. Like, they sort of look, you're not dealing with a print based society yet. It's memory based, it's oral tradition. And for whatever reason, in this case, you know, I like one of the meta conversations I want to have doing Dafyomi is, you know, what the times when they're willing to say, you know, Lozaz Mishnah, when they're saying, willing to say, remember Rabbi Yochanan was like, no, this Mishnah doesn't exist. When they're willing to say the, the text of the Mishnah must be corrupted. And here they're really willing to say like, look, we have sort of our most famous Tana and two students have two very different versions of what he says and both may equally be right. <laughs> because there, there were, he was answering, he was presenting two different things in two different ways right. for a different application. And then, at least the way we end it, right? I mean, there's more, but the way we end it here is to this point of Rabbi Chia kind of giving Bar Kapara the Danakov's chut, he's giving them the benefit of the doubt to say, you were confused, right? Like, you got it wrong, right. but it was an honest mistake. It was an honest mistake, or maybe you misheard, or maybe you misunderstood. Yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting way where they go with this. Like, they're not willing to be totally like, you're totally wrong. Um, I'm going to move on to the next Mishnah. Um, which is a very, very bizarre case. So two men marry two women. And at the time of when they get married, in other words, remember, there were two separate parts to the wedding ceremony. There was the Rusin, which today would be the part where you give the ring and you say your Mikudeshet. And then there was the Sheva Brachot, and that's the Kedushin. So, or sometimes referred to as the Nisuin. So they, they originally, they were done, you know, about a year apart from each other. Today, we do them together at the same time. We just read the Ketubah in between. So the idea here is that the, uh, you know, the, the Erusin, right, where the two women were Mikudeshet, they're given a ring or something like that, happened. But then when they go to the Chuppah to do the Nisuin part, right, to have the Sheva Brachot actually read, Right, right. They each got switched somehow, and somehow each man ended up marrying the woman who he actually did Arusin with. Now, because remember, they didn't live together after that sort of you know Mikudesha part. They still would live in their in their family home. And so, what it's saying is that if they consummated that relationship, right they would be chayav because of Eshadish, because in other words, they slept with another man's wife. And if those two men were brothers, they also would be chayav for Eshadach. So in other words, there would be two Isurim here. And let's say the two women were sisters, Mishum right? It would be the wife's sister. And if let's say they both were uh, menstruating, then it would also be that they had intercourse with a, with a menstruating woman. Umaf, so very interesting. So I think, I don't think this is a practical case. I think what they're trying to do is create a Mishnah where they're talking about multiple levels of Yisurim being like, okay, what's the marriage case we could find or an act of Bia, an act of a sexual relationship where you could have the most number of Yisurim at one time, okay? So, and I think that's what they sort of come up with. And then the Gemara says, Umaf, what? Like, that's a good parlor trick. Like, Let's see what we can pile on here. Yeah, right. In other words, like who can come up with the most serum in a case? And this is where the Mishnah lands. However, now the Mishnah gets into the practical piece of it, which is where you sort of let's like, 
maybe this was practical. So you would separate these women from their husbands for three months. Because maybe they became pregnant when they slept with the wrong husband, right? Now, there's going to be, it's going to be worse tomorrow. I'm warning everybody ahead of time. Let's say they were minors and therefore could not get pregnant. They can go back to their spouse right away. If they were, you know, female, co- you know, Kohen's, what? They were daughters, excuse me. Right. They're daughters of Kohanim. That's a better way to say it. Uh, they're just. Truma, because once they have a forbidden sexual act, they're basically forbidden to Kohanim in the future, and therefore they're disqualified from ever eating Truma again. So what starts off as a Mishnah that really reads, to me at least, sort of, as you said, Anne, sort of like a parlor trick, right, ends on a very, very practical note. Like it wants to tell you what are all the practical ramifications of this particular uh, case. And the Gemara is bothered by this Mishnah. Hechlifu, right, it says they were switched. Me David Rashai Askinan, are we dealing with like wicked individuals? Like in other words, how do people get switched at the chuppah unless it was done on purpose? And the Mishnah, in other words, halacha doesn't deal with the halacha of evil, right? Like halacha deals with people who make mistakes, people who are committed to halacha, but we don't come up with a case of somebody who purposefully did this. Vito, right? And furthermore, Hadatani Rabbi Chia. This is a Rabbi Chia taught. Harekan Right, that there are actually sixteen chataot here. Right, four for the men, and four for each man, and four for each woman. So, in other words, of these four people who are here, each one is chayav in four chataot, and therefore that's a total of sixteen. And that's according to Rabbi Chia. Right, even amazing me eka korban. But if they did this intentionally, we know you don't bring a korban chatat for an intentional act. You only bring it for a shogeg act for one that was done by accident. So Rav Yudah says, look, Tijin said, right, that it should say they were switched. In other words, that the 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 way that it should be, uh, you know, the, the language should be there is that, you know, that they switched, you want to read it, it actually should read instead, right, it's a, it's a grammar, it's a diktuk issue, which means they were switched. And, and the implication of the difference between those two words is, the Gemara continues there and talks a little bit more about how they know that it was an accidental switching. They give a couple of other proofs. We're not going to read all of them. Um, but it's clear this is a bizarre Mishnah, and it's clear the Gemara recognizes that it's a bizarre Mishnah. I mean, in my mind, this has to be a boundary-pushing Mishnah. Like, how is it possible that women were actually switched? And so I think they're sort of, they're just playing around with this whole thing about Isurim and you know, how could this actually happen and what happens and how many serum are you really over? Like, it's it's almost like they're trying to figure out, like, if I had to make a case where I could figure out the largest numbers of sins that you could do under the guise of marriage or a sexual relationship, this is the case that they came up with because it's just a bizarre Mishnah. And that the Gemara's first comment is, like, what are we talking about, wicked people? Because we don't make halacha for wicked people. We make people halacha for regular people, but not for people who we know are purposefully going to sin. Yeah, I like that. Um, and I think it's important. I think it's one of those like, you know, overturning meta comments that we don't always get. And then when we do get them, you know, sometimes they really just ring true. And, and 
to me anyway, it's part of what the whole system of halacha is, right? They're for regular. It's for regular people. It's not designed to to do anything for the wicked people. I suppose it might help a wicked person now and again not do wicked activity. But the assumption is that halacha will help regular people function, act well, comply with God's commands, whatever. Um, and, you know, and and we get to take it from there as opposed to saying, well, we got to worry about exactly what would happen if somebody were trying to, um, you know, fundamentally destroy the system. And the answer is no, that's not what halacha is about. Anyway, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about this DAF. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farmer for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.